1207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you can't tell, I am in a feisty mood. That is the product of of, of a wonderful four-day vacation. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I certainly did. Weather cooperated and uh, ready to get back behind the microphone. A couple items of business. Of course, looking forward to seeing lots and lots of you this evening at our annual Christmas radio play, WTMJ Saves Christmas. My advice is get there early. Uh, Doors open at 5.30. If you're not able to attend tonight, if you didn't get tickets, and we're being told that there really are no tickets left. Um, We are sold. Actually, we're oversold, but there will be space for everybody. Um, We will be broadcasting rebroadcasting the show or broadcasting the show on multiple occasions over the course of the holidays, so you'll have a chance to hear it. But looking forward to seeing a lot of people. Also, this Wednesday, if you happen to be in Washington County, um, I'm going to be at the Taste of Washington County, which is a fundraiser. It's held at the Washington County Fairgrounds and the, the big building they have there. Um, but a number of area restaurants get together. It's a fundraiser for the five area boys and girls clubs. On this program, I talk a lot about you know, juvenile crime and things like that. Well, one of the ways that you deal with juvenile crime is you stop juveniles from committing criminal acts in the first place. And um, having things like boys and girls clubs where people can go after school and productively occupy themselves is very, very valuable. And so this is a big fundraiser, Taste of Washington County, where a number of area restaurants participate. And I will be there with the unofficial mayor of Washington County, my friend George Prescott. Um, So stop off. If you happen to be attending, say hi. And, of course... This is, we kicked off our, our 12th annual Kids to Kids Christmas campaign last week. Um, our first toy collection effort that's going to be on air is this Friday. My show and Wisconsin's Afternoon News originate from VMP Manor Park in West Dallas. If you've been there before, you know they do an tr- incredible job. They set up like this winter wonderland, and they've got hot dogs and bratwurst, I think, and they've got... Um, hot chocolate and sodas and all sorts of things. And it, it's just really a wonderful experience. Uh, my show will be broadcasting live. We'll be in the big talking box out in the parking lot. Stop off, say hi, drop off toys. They go to a wonderful cause. All right, let's get started. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. I'm not going to bury the lead. This, when I heard about it, might be, at least in my opinion, the most staggeringly dumb law that the Milwaukee Common Council has ever considered. And it's it's endemic of this larger trend that I, I've been seeing go on for years and years. Crime is out of control. All right? So what we do more and more is instead of dealing with the criminals, we decide that we're going to lean on the law-abiding citizens. Now, it always used to be that you could... Start your car in the middle of winter. You could turn it on. You could let it warm up in your own driveway, and you wouldn't have to worry about it being gone. Well, the reality now is that if you leave your car unattended in your driveway for just a minute or two when it's cold, especially in certain areas of the city of Milwaukee, but now in the suburbs too, there's a good chance that car is going to be gone because there's roving bands of thieves just driving around looking for that unattended car. So we have the police say, well, okay, you you shouldn't leave your car unattended and running at any circumstance, even if it's 10 degrees below zero. And I guess that might be wise advice. But where is the outrage about the car thefts? I mean, where is the outrage that law-abiding, honest citizens have to live like that? You're now seeing all this crime in the suburbs caused 
in large part, I think, by criminals in Milwaukee who are moving out to the suburbs, looking, moving by, say, not living in the suburbs, but just kind of spreading out like an ink stain, you know, into suburban areas looking for targets of opportunity to the point that now it's not just don't leave your car running, but don't even think about leaving it unlocked and don't even think about even if it's locked, leaving like your house keys or something in your car because somebody's going to come along and break into the car. They're going to get your garage door opener. They're going to open your garage door. And by the way, you better lock your interior door as well because they'll come in. All right, well, maybe that's all good advice. But where is the outrage over the crime? I mean, when has this become acceptable that we're now saying more and more to people, to the victims of crime, well, it's kind of your fault if you don't do this or that or this or that or the other thing, instead of recognizing that let's deal with the criminals, which brings us to what the Common Council is going to be considering tomorrow. The average shopping cart. Now, Greg, who's producing the show today, Gru is on vacation. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to a grocery store or a big box retailer, and I try to avoid doing those type of things, but, you know, occasionally you have to shop. Well, one of the things that I need is I need a shopping cart. And the stores provide shopping carts as conveniences to the customers. And I don't know about you, but I like to have easy access to the shopping carts. So you take the shopping cart, you go through the store, you fill it with the items that you want to purchase, you go, you pay for it, you then take the shopping cart, you go out to your car, you look two or three times to make sure that you're not being followed to be carjacked, especially if it's city of Milwaukee, you put the goods that you purchased into your car, and you take the shopping cart, and then you, you know, if you're... A good patron, you put it, you, you walk it over to wherever that cart corral is, and you put it in there. You know, some people just kind of leave it for other people to pick up after themselves. But you get in your car, and you drive off. The shopping carts are there as a convenience for the customers. The typical shopping cart costs between 70 and $150. You can get fancier shopping carts, but, you know, these businesses, they shell out for shopping carts. There are people who, for whatever reasons, steal shopping carts. Sometimes the shopping carts are stolen because people will take them and turn them in for scrap metal. Sometimes the shopping carts are stolen by people... Well, you can choose your words. Um, I, I use the word bum occasionally, and some people are offended by bums. But, all right, sometimes bums will walk off with... will pull, take the shopping carts and take them. Okay, so choose your word. Maybe it's bum. Maybe it's somebody who's residentially challenged. I don't know. But people will... They'll take the shopping carts, and they will steal the shopping carts. So this is the operative term. They are stealing the shopping carts. The shopping cart does not belong to you. So if you go into the parking lot at a Target store or, I don't know, a pick and save or whatever, and you walk off pushing the shopping cart, if you steal the shopping cart, you are, what's the word for people who steal things? You are a thief. All right? You are a thief. Okay, so you would think that if we were concerned about people who steal things we would go after the thieves, right? Au contraire, that is not as what is happening in Milwaukee. Apparently, on the streets, the mean streets of Milwaukee, they are finding, particularly in some of the higher crime areas, they are finding 
lots and lots of stolen shopping carts. People will steal the shopping cart for whatever reason. They will take it off the premises, and then they will leave it somewhere. So the shopping carts are found, and they create a bit of an eyesore. All right. Now, there's a couple ways that you could approach this. You could say, all right, we're going to try to crack down on the bums, the homeless, the residentially challenged people, whatever, who are ripping off the shopping carts because they are committing petty thievery because these carts cost between $75 and $150, and we're going to try to crack down on the thieves. Or you could take the approach that they are preparing to take in the city of Milwaukee. Here is the deal. There is a proposal that is going to, and I'm being told by my sources, that will probably pass tomorrow, which would fine grocery stores, fining grocery stores for allowing their shopping carts to be stolen. You did not mishear me. That is precisely what this would do. You've got one of these older women, Shantea Lewis, who's behind the proposal. She says we're finding abandoned shopping carts throughout the city. So here's what we're doing. She says they've become a blight. Carts, carts, they're everywhere. Her proposal would fine businesses up to $250 for every shopping cart found off their property. Um, And her point is... Well, here's the burden should be on the store to make sure that its shopping carts can't be stolen. Now, there is some technology that apparently you can put on carts. It's relatively expensive, but you can put on the carts. It operates kind of like an invisible fence does with a dog, so that if you take it off the premises, the the wheels lock up. So it's difficult, not impossible to steal it, but it's difficult to to push it. Um, There are other places, like Aldi's, I guess, where you have to pay a deposit on the shopping cart, although the deposit is only a fraction of what the the, the cart costs. In any event, the proposal would go after any business that has more than 25 shopping carts, so any, pretty much any grocery store, and if somebody steals your shopping cart, the business would be fined 250 bucks. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Seriously, what's next? In the city of Milwaukee, are they going to say, if your car is stolen, you are going to have to pay a fine because... Well, I don't know. You left your car stolen. You had let your car be stolen. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is not only dumb but incredibly unfair and shows the the shifting that is going on now. The stores are the victims. The stores are the ones that are being ripped off. And you have the city of Milwaukee that is considering fining the victims. Shame on them. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Say, I just turned on the radio. Was listening to what you're saying. I'm 61. I've been telling my kids for years that I think it's insane. You see people pushing down the street, and then they just leave them sitting anywhere, and yep. it's a total blight. It just looks horrible. And now we're going to make the stores pay a fee. <laughs> I think they, the police officer sees somebody pushing one down the street, pull them right over on the spot, give them a ticket, or you know whatever. And let's try that approach. Well, well, right, exactly. I mean, the, the stores are being robbed. It, it's like saying, 
okay, if you if somebody shoplifts from you and you call in the you call in the cops, we're going to fine you for making the call. This, these people are thieves. <laughs> and, and, and add into this one, Jeff. You realize, of course, that the, the, the shopping mart, the store, whatever, has to buy new carts yeah. all the time for the ones that are taken. And guess what happens to the price of our groceries right. when they have to buy new cars? Exactly. If they go up, right? Thanks for that. That, get, that cost gets passed on. Now, look, I, I understand that maybe, well, I, I mean, maybe the wave of the future is going to be doing the things like they do at the Aldi's that makes you pay, you know, up front a deposit on, on the carts. I happen to think that that's an incredible annoyance and more than a little bit annoying. And actually, I'm not sure that that really stops it because the deposit you're paying isn't enough to, um, you know, isn't enough to overcome the cost of the cart. But uh, but I, you know, th- that's the response. Okay, make the stores, make the stores, make you put a deposit or something. No, why don't we go after the thieves for goodness sake? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's twelve twenty. This is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I swear I'm not making this up. The Common Council of Milwaukee is poised tomorrow to pass an ordinance which would fine grocery stores $250 for every shopping cart that somebody steals. So somebody walks off the premises with a shopping cart. We don't go after the thief. We go after the grocery store. Um, for example, uh, the Journal Sentinel, um, no, it's not the Journal Sentinel, it's Channel, I want to give credit where credit is due. Channel 58 was reporting that at, at some El Rey grocery store locations, for example, in order to get a shopping cart, you've got to give them your driver's license. I mean, seriously, do we want to get to a point where you've got to turn in your driver's license before you get a shopping cart? That is the way some stores might respond to a stupid, yes, I use that word stupid, ordinance like this. If we've got a problem with this, it, to the extent it is a problem, the problem doesn't seem to me that it's the stores. Some people would say, well, you should use this wheel locking technology that, like I said earlier, kind of works like an invisible fence with a dog. The problem is, a lot of people say, first of all, it's expensive, and a lot of times it's unreliable, and it's easily defeated. It, 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 it locks the wheels once you take the thing off the premises, but apparently people who steal shopping carts know how to get around that pretty easily. I'm just saying, if this is an issue, it's not... It, the, the stores are the victims, and this is the problem. You have these aldermen that don't get it, who are victimizing the victims and making it more difficult to do business in places like the city of Milwaukee. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis on six twenty. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good afternoon. Hi, Hi Dennis. I think that is a ridiculous policy that they're trying to come up with. You know, for the simple fact that. Now, like you said, the stores are the victims. Yeah. And, you you know, you turn around. I work in the city, you know, every day. I live in the city, and I don't see that many shopping carts out there, first of all. Right. I'm in the city every day. You know, so why don't we start finding the stores when we find garbage in the neighborhoods that are probably far from those stores? <laughs> well, right. That, that, that is a great example. How far do you draw this? So let's say... Let's say you, I don't mean to pick on all of these, but let's say you find a bunch of garbage, a bunch of like bags from Aldi's that are, you know, thrown away down the alley. Is it the fault of Aldi's or is it the fault of the person who decided to litter? Well, you know, you follow this line of thinking, you'd be finding Aldi's for those bags that they find in the alley. Right. Now, because obviously they're doing it because it's an eyesore. So why don't we start finding the city for all the boarded up homes that they're not doing nothing about? <laughs> they're not trying to sell them. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I'm, 
it's, it's just a ridiculous problem. Well, well, it is, right? I mean, thanks. I mean, the, the, the thing should be, all right, let's let's figure out if if this is a problem. And again, I, I understand that that's a, a big if, and I do think it is fair to say of all the problems you find in the city of Milwaukee, are abandoned shopping carts really going to be like one of the priorities? That My guess is that's probably about number 1,001 on the top 10 list of priorities in the city. But to the extent it is a problem, it, it's... You go. You're going after the victim. You're going after the person. In this case, it's the business that is being ripped off. What sense does that make, Gwen in Brookfield? Gwen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Gwen. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I'm glad you're talking about this because I've thought about it before when they've talked about the cars. You know, you aren't supposed to warm up your car in your driveway, right. and it's like now this with the Grocery stores and and again fining the grocery store really that's that's right. just plain stupid. Well, right, because like, because the logical alternative is yeah. if you leave your let's say let's say you leave your car unlocked in your driveway yeah. and the and it gets stolen. The logical next step is we're going to fine you, Gwen, mm-hmm. for having the audacity to leave your car exactly. unlocked in your driveway. I, I, I see that coming in the very near future. Yeah. <laughs> Because to me, this is just law enforcement and politicians going after the low-hanging fruit that they can, you know. Right. Well, I mean, if I'm a business, well, again, and it's not like the business climate in the city of Milwaukee is all that great to begin with. Can you imagine if store, I'm just... I'm just trying to think, if stores had to do, for example, what apparently El Rey has to do with some stores, which says in order to get a shopping cart, you've got to turn in your driver's license or or your photo ID. Can you just imagine? You need a photo ID now to get a shopping cart, for God's sake. (laughs) Which which we fought and fought to get, you know... Voting for that yeah. now. Now people are going to have you know not be able to get groceries. You, you right, right, exactly. No, thanks for calling. You can't make this stuff up. And I am told that this is going to pass tomorrow because well we've got to go over. We got to go after those evil businesses that are allowing the thieves, the bums, the scrap metal dealers, whatever, to rip off the shopping cart. So I have it. Let's find the victim. Welcome to Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, 1257, 1257, 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As I said, I have come back from the four-day break feisty, and that's going to be the tone of the rest of the show as well. The Bucks are on the third leg of their West Coast swing tomorrow night against the Kings. Ted Davis is live in Sacramento with our Buckshots pregame coverage. It begins at 8.40 Tuesday night. You can hear it right here on WTMJ. Big story number two is coming up. You wouldn't have thought it would be controversial to take dead people's names off the voting rolls. But believe it or not, it is. I'll tell you that story and we'll discuss. WTMJ, Jeff Wacker, glad to have you with us. In just a few weeks, the FCC could vote to eliminate net neutrality. What could that mean for you and your Internet experience? The latest tomorrow at 7.50 on Wisconsin's Morning News. I'm, uh, I, you know, I, I've tried to think about, you know, working that up as a topic, and I understand there's a handful of people that really, really care about it, and I don't think most people do. I don't think it's really going to be that big a deal one way or the other, and I understand 
that for the people that really, really care about net neutrality, I've just offended them. But I just don't think it's going to change the experience much one way or the other. And I think I'm just going to wait to see what ultimately happens. Essentially, that's a battle between, like, the big telecom companies like, you know, AT&T and um, the content providers. Um, and I... I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure it's that. I'm not sure it's as big a deal as some people are making it out to be. All right. Big story number two. Under federal law, it is a requirement. It's called the National Voter Registration Act, and it goes back to 1993. And it says that it says that election officials have to make a reasonable effort to cull ineligible voters from the voters lists okay so the the idea is in an effort to try to prevent you know voter fraud what you have to do is you periodically have to go through your voters lists and you have to remove try to identify people who may have died try to identify people who may have moved try to identify non-citizens and try to identify felons whose voting rights might be restricted all right now that you you would not think that that would be particularly controversial. I mean, can I see a show of hands? Is there anybody out there that thinks it's a good idea to have dead people, you know, showing up on on voter able to vote lists? I, I don't think anybody would think that that's a good idea. How about people who have long ago moved from their homes? All right, is it a good idea to have them there? Well, no, because again, it, it just opens up the door for potential voter fraud. So why has this become an issue? Well, there is, as the New York Times reports it, a conservative advocacy group that has um, sent notices to 248 county election officials across the country saying that, you know, we've been monitoring this, and, you know, unless you start complying with the law, that is removing the names of dead people or people who've moved or people who are ineligible to vote, um, we're going to file lawsuits, you know, against you, demanding that you comply with the law. Right, now you would think in the face of something like that, the response would be, yeah, we probably, if we haven't done this, we need to do a, a better job of doing this. Right, you would think that that would be the response. Well, this has become now a political issue because there are voter advocacy groups that are stepping up and saying, no, here's the problem. If any of these election officials get sued, we're going to come in and we're going to help you because what we have found is when these election officials occasionally go to try to get rid of voters who shouldn't be voting, occasionally they will make a mistake and they will remove the name of a live voter. So let me, let's see, what could be an example of that? Let's say that there is a James Peter Smith who dies, who's listed on, on the rolls. But in that same neighborhood, there is a James P. Smith, Paul Smith, who lives in the area and, and who is, is alive and is eligible to vote. All right? Well, what happens from time to time is that when they go to remove the dead James P. Smith, sometimes they end up removing the live James P. Smith by mistake. It's 
it is an error. Um, it's not an intentional error, but it is an error that gets made. And th- there is, any time you are removing thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people from the voter lists, there is always the possibility that somebody is going to, who legitimately should be on the list, there's always the possibility that that person is going to be incorrectly removed. So then when that person shows up to vote on Election Day and they say, hey, I, I voted at this particular precinct, you know, every you know, every election that we've had for the last 10, 15, 20 years, what do you mean I'm not on the list? Well, okay, they're going to then have to jump through hoops. So a lot of these so-called do-gooder groups, the pro-voter groups, they're saying because these election officials can make errors, they should not be forced to have to remove names in these fashions. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I understand today's topics are, are kind of frustrating to me. We're going to go after businesses who are ripped off. Now we're going to say that because there is the possibility of an error and somebody who might legitimately not be supposed to remo- be removed from a database, because in error that person might get caught up in a purge, that we shouldn't purge the names of dead people or people who have moved and people who are no longer eligible to vote, that just flat out makes no sense to me at all. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here's what it seems to me the lesson is. The lesson is that you try to emphasize to these election officials, well, be careful. Because there is always the possibility that that James P. Smith that you are removing, that there could be another James P. Smith who isn't dead. But that's not an excuse for not removing the dead person or the person who's moved away. The fact that human error could play in causing somebody to make a mistake just to me says, okay, you've got to try to be as careful as you possibly can, but mistakes are going to happen. But the alternative is to have voter registra- voter poll- voter rolls that are clogged with people who are dead or who don't live in the area or who can't legally vote. 414-799-1620. Um, Edie in Burlington, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I just think this is kind of a non-issue because... Especially here in Wisconsin, if you're a live person, you know, all these live people, I'm sure, who want to vote can just show up. You register the day you vote. No big deal. Well, no well, problem. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is, let's say I, I show up at the polls, and they say, okay, you're you're not listed here anymore because somebody right. with my exact name was was booted off the was booted off, and they've made a mistake and they've taken me off instead. What you're saying is, at least in Wisconsin, it's no big deal because same day registration, boom, I just pull out my photo ID, and they'll be able to take care of me. Absolutely, and that should be the case everywhere. What's most important is to protect our Constitution and protect our voting process. So I say go ahead and call the, all the non-voting right. people. Right, and then it's really easy. Right, right. Thanks for call. And then, and then of course you have protected, you have protected the system. Now again, you, you have to have a pattern for doing this. And the truth is, not every state has same-day registration like we have in Wisconsin, but. But there's ways, 
I, I think there's ways that are that are around that. And I and I do appreciate that if you have somebody who legitimately gets caught up in this and for some reason or another isn't able to vote because the the county election official official has screwed up and has wrongfully removed them from the list. They have a right to be aggrieved. But that doesn't mean that because there is that, again, there's that unicorn, there's the chance that that might happen because, you, again, you got the county election officials that screw up. That doesn't mean that you don't continue to go through the process of freshening up your lists. Glenn in Germantown. Glenn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Uh, I have a true story. My brother-in-law a few years ago went to vote in New Berlin. And when they were looking up his name on the list, he saw his deceased father on the list, who had died back in the 80s, saw his brother on the list, who had moved out of state in Ari- to Arizona back mm-hmm. in the 90s. Oh, so they're still showing up as active voters on the roll. Okay, got so it. So what was to stop him from coming back before, this was before the voter ID. Right. Different people at the table and saying, now I'm so-and-so, and and now I'm so-and-so, and and now I'm so-and-so, waiting, you know, going outside, wait till different persons at the table and... Right, or, 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 you know, or other people, um, just deciding to exploit that. Yeah, I mean, that's why it just, it just makes sense. You know, whenever somebody passes away, for example, that's, that's the first thing that they try to do is you try to remove them from various lists. I mean, businesses don't want to be sending solicitations to people who have passed away. It just doesn't make any sense. That's how the real world operates. But you have some of these people who apparently think, well, it, it's no big deal to have dead people on the voters list. It's crazy. This isn't Chicago. Well, it, you would think not. No, thanks for calling. You, you would, you would think not. Now, again, in Wisconsin, with the, the voter ID prov- provisions here, you would think that that would end up as as blocking it. But still, from a from a good government perspective, keep in mind, you know, that, that you just don't want the lists clogged up with people who who aren't eligible to vote for a variety of reasons, including, like I say, moving away or passing away or 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 whatever. Um, it's just you wouldn't think that this would be controversial. But yet it is. Huge story in the New York Times over the weekend. And like I say, the, the so-called voter advocacy groups are just all enraged that you've got a conservative group that's saying, hey, you know, we, we, we want you, county election officials, to do what you are supposed to do, which is remove people from the list. The answer isn't whether the people should be removed. It is should you have procedures in effect to essentially make sure that you're not screwing up and, and knocking live eligible voters off the list. But that's a different story. Big story number three is coming up. Her hairstyle is too controversial for Pet World. Stick around. It's 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. All right, big story number three. I saw this report. Other people might have reported as well. I I happen to see it on uh, Fox 6. Uh, Pet World. Greg, who's producing the show. Do you have pets? Do you have pets? Do you have pets? Okay, pets. So you probably... I mean, Pet World is one of the big big chain pet store places. It It is not... Pet World is not my pet store of choice for for Sasha, but, you know, a lot of people go into Pet World and things like that. So here's the story. It is the Pet World in Menominee Falls, and it's a 19-year-old woman. Her name is Destini Briggs. 
Um, and apparently before her shift, and, and, and she works, um, she's, she's a retail employee at, at Pet World. Um, I, I think she helps people out in the aisles and stock shelves, and maybe she acts as a cashier. She does whatever you do at, at Pet World. She says, hey, you're selling dog food, you're cleaning bird poop out of a cage, you're picking worms out of, you know, a crate, you know, whatever. So, I mean, she she does whatever, again, you do working at the pet store. So before her shift, mid-November, about um, about 10 or 12 days ago, she apparently goes to a hairstylist, and she's, she's African-American, and she spends, according to the story, $150 on faux dreadlocks, faux being fake, you know, um, kind of like hair extensions, except they're, they're dreadlocks. Don't know how these work, but she, she, so she shows up, and she's got the, the faux dreadlocks. The manager at, at Pet World says, sorry, um, you can't have your hair like that. You have to take it out. Um, she says, I, I just spent $150 on, on you know, this, these, these extensions or whatever this is, these faux dreadlocks. No. So she says, I called my mom and I told her what was happening. The mom, so all over TV now, saying, I was very shocked. Um, and mom says, again, she, she's selling dog food. She's cleaning bird poop out of a cage. Um, who would this bother? The mom and the daughter then confront the store manager, who points to the employee handbook and says, look, here's what it says. It says your hair is to be of a natural color and an appropriate style for a retail setting. Now, the dreadlocks, the fake dreadlocks, look to me like they are of a natural color. So I guess the question becomes, is it an appropriate style for a retail setting? And then, and you kind of knew this was coming, you know, the, the mom then says, um, oh, okay, let's, there, there's the racial element uh, to this. Um, mom says, I just want to expose this discrimination. I think it was an ambiguous statement that would be in the employee handbook. If you want someone to adhere to the rule book, then it needs to be very clear and simple for everyone to understand. Um, you're telling us how we, meaning African-American people, because this is more something that is from our culture, what's appropriate and what's not. She should have a freedom to express her black culture. Um, then the story says police were eventually called to the store that day to help resolve the dispute. I don't know what the heck that means. But anyhow, she shows up. She's got the fake dreadlocks. The store manager says, um, we think this is inappropriate for a retail setting. And now it's sort of becoming a cultural and a racial issue. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Feel free to disagree with me on this one. But I think employers should have broad latitude in deciding what are appropriate hairstyles and what are appropriate clothing for the particular environment. Now, I don't know. I've never run a pet store, and I've never run Pet World, and I don't know if these, like, fake dreadlocks, if, in my opinion, if I were the runner, the person running the Pet World... I don't know that I would feel that I would that these are necessarily inappropriate for that type of retail work. But these are ones where I don't think I'm prepared to say that I think the store manager is clearly wrong. And I guess this is one where I think that you gotta give a lot of latitude and discretion to the particular store manager as to what sort of hairstyle, for example, is going to be appropriate. 
414-799-1620. And as long as they enforce this across the board, for example, if you had a 19-year-old white employee that showed up with a similar sort of hairstyle, as long as you said, no, that's not going to be appropriate, I don't see this necessarily as a racial thing. 414-799-1620, is Pet, Store, is Pet World wrong to say to this young woman, sorry, um, you got to take these extensions out? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I side with the pet store in this case. It's 1053. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I just think employers should have broad latitude in setting dress codes. Now, again, I don't know. It's it's a pet world store. Who cares if the the gal has fake dreadlocks? That might be my reaction. But I'm not prepared to say I, I don't know the pet business, and maybe they think that that's important. Tom in Waukesha. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Tom. What do you think? I think that the manager should have the right. We have a small, very family-orientated business, a lot of children coming in, and we require all our employees to be very conservative, highly dressed, and their hair and all that because of the fact it's family and with a lot of kids. And we've actually had, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but with tattoos all over, Mm -hmm. those large hoops in their ears, and we just feel that that isn't appropriate for six, eight-year-old kids coming in with their parents and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, I think that when I think about restaurants from time to time, you know, sometimes you, you have, and look, I, I, I pass no judgment at all on the, you know, the, the personal style. If people want to have 15 piercings above the neck, that, that that's their business. But at the same time, I can also understand if, for example, you're a restaurant owner and you're saying, okay, you're going to be, you, you want to be a waitress. Well, some people might not like that, so you got to figure out something to do with the piercings. I think that that's the employer should have the right to say that, and the employee should then have the right to say, well, I'm going to go work somewhere else. I, that's how I think it, it should go. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, no, thanks. And for I think no. that being in the restaurant field, the waiter or waitress would know that. Well, right. I mean, I, again, and it's and it's it's just uh, maybe there's places that they don't care about that. Lisa in Milwaukee. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? So I have a friend that works at a pet world, not the same one, but a different one. And I asked her, well, what the heck? Because it sounded kind of silly to me. And she said it wasn't the reason that this lady had dreads, but rather that she had thread strung throughout her dreads, and thread is not natural, needs to be in your hair. So Fox News didn't say anything about that, so I don't right. know, and you know. Right, hair is to be a natural color. Well, that, that, that what the handbook says is the hair has to be of a natural color and an appropriate style for a retail setting. That's what the handbook says, so I don't know. But um, So did your friend think she was being treated fairly or unfairly? She didn't say. She just right. said that the reason why was not because she had dreads. It actually because she had this string woven throughout the thread. Right, which might, might well, right, which again, now thanks to call, which again might. I, my sense is, and again, maybe there, there's more to it, but I'm looking at the employee handbook. I think they're taking the position that it's not an appropriate style for a, a retail setting. I, I don't know.
Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yes, political correctness. Well, it, it's still, it, it is still not necessarily thriving in certain communities. St. Francis, um, my, my, my in-laws, my, my late wife's parents, used to live right on the border of Milwaukee and St. Francis. Um, I always love this community down there. All right, somebody just sent me a note. Uh, St. Francis, this it's, it's December 2nd, Saturday, December 2nd, so that would be this uh, Saturday. Um, they, they once again, I hope you're sitting down for this. I do not want you to be shocked by this. If you're driving, you might want to pull over with this information. But um, they are, once again, attempting fate, challenging political correctness, and having their annual St. Francis Christmas Parade and, yes, Christmas Tree Lighting. Call the folks from the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Yes, St. Francis, it's a Christmas parade, not a holiday parade, and a Christmas tree lighting ceremony. It is alive and well, and it is Saturday, December 2nd, and you understand that somewhere there's heads that are exploding. Well, it's a government agency, and they're having a Christmas tree. Yes, because it is a Christmas tree. And they're having a Christmas parade. Yes, because the parade is because of Christmas. There's also the holiday season. But you know what? The holiday seasons are, season is based around Christmas in St. Francis and in the rest of this country. Oh, the horror. All right. You knew Madison was going to have to get in on this when, when you saw the story. Uh, we talked about it about a month ago. There was this huge controversy in Eau Claire. A member of the the Eau Claire City Council, Common Council, whatever they call it, wanted to be able to breastfeed her child during the council meetings on on the dais. So, in other words, she wanted to be able to. Well, again, the council meetings going on. You know, everybody's there. She wanted to be on the raised platform, breastfeeding her child while the meeting was taking place. And what the, the what people said was, we just think that's inappropriate for the, this, this workplace. If you need to take a break, for example, you know, we could give you, a, we, we could schedule, you know, a break for you to do this. She said, no, 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 that's not acceptable because I don't know when the child could get hungry. Um, you know, and, and I just, I, I can't prepare for this. And this is perfectly natural. So if in the middle of this common council meeting, I want to sit and I want to breastfeed, I should be able to do it. Ultimately, they ended up passing an ordinance which they, they kind of get around it. As I recall, the ordinance prevents you from having children with you on the on the dais. So it, it sort of circumvented this whole issue. But it was designed to stop the woman from, from breastfeeding during the council meeting. Well, we now go out to the People's Republic of Madison. Um, the Madison City Council is going to consider allowing breastfeeding during meetings. Here's the story. The Madison City Council will consider amending an ordinance to specifically allow children who are nursing to be on the floor of the council chambers during meetings. The, the way it works now is the only people that are allowed during the council meetings that are allowed on the floor of the chambers are the aldermen or alderwomen, in Madison, they call them alders because we, we don't want to discriminate against men or women. So it's, they're, they're not aldermen or aldermen. They're alders. Okay, so 
That's why I started this whole segment with the St. Francis and the bows to political correctness, uh, refusing to bow to political correctness. So in Madison right now, during the meetings, the only people allowed on the council floor are the alders and the city staff. Okay? So that means that you can't have a kid there if you decide you want to you want to breastfeed during the meeting. If the meeting's not going on, it's not a problem. Um, but while the meeting is going on, nobody, you know, only the elected officials and the, the staff. So what they want to do is they want to allow breastfeeding children, children who are nursing, to be on the floor of the council chambers during nursing. Uh, one of the alder women, or alders, Arvina Martin, District 11, says she wants to put safeguards in place that specifically protect the rights of mothers to breastfeed children during citizen City of Madison meetings. We know that government bodies that are diverse make better legislation and make better rules and have better outcomes. So we don't want to be setting up any kind of barrier to public service that we don't need to have in place. They will consider this on Tuesday. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do not get me wrong. I, I'm not against breastfeeding. Don't choose to get into to that whole debate. Not against it at all. But I do think that there is a time and a place for everything. This is in the middle of the workplace. And it's in the middle of the work day. This is during the meetings themselves. And again, maybe I'm, you call me out of touch on this, but I think it is flat inappropriate to be engaging. And let, let's, let's forget about the, you know, the, the ways they're trying to get around it. I'm not against breastfeeding, but I think it is flat inappropriate to be saying, all right, during the meeting itself, you have an absolute right to breastfeed. We're not saying that she can't do it in her office. You're not saying that, you know, she can't do it during breaks. But during that hour or two hours that it is in session, that the council is in session, absent the breaks, I, I just think it's inappropriate to say that, all right, that you, you can breastfeed any time in any place that you want. And given the fact that they don't really have that many meetings, I don't think it is an unreasonable burden to say, all right, make alternative arrangements. You know, if, if, if it is that, that two-hour, you know, window, you know, once a week or twice a week or however often they have meetings, okay, there, there are different things that people can do to, to deal with this. But I guess I just think that it is inappropriate to say in, during that meeting itself, that you know you have an absolute right to breastfeed. You should be, I think, paying attention to the meetings. If you want to excuse yourself, you know, be absent or whatever. But I, I don't know. I understand about multitasking. But it is is it unreasonable to say to an elected official while you are actually in session, while you are on the floor? I liken this quite candidly. Um, you know, in another life, I, I practice law. And I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if you had, for example, a, a female judge of childbearing age that decided, all right, I'm handling a murder trial. And here I'm going to sit on the bench and I'm going to breastfeed while the trial is going on. I think that you could make a strong argument that that would be inappropriate. And I think this is a lot like that. 
414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this really isn't anti-breastfeeding the way I see it. I mean, it, I, I don't care if she wants to do it. But during these periods of time when she's on the floor and the legislation, legislature's in session, yeah, I think it's inappropriate. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike in Sheboygan. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you? Good. What um, do you think? So I'm, I'm an alderman where I live, but anyway, that doesn't matter. I, I'm just thinking that this is a lady's part-time position because she's an alder. Um, and and this, is, this is no different than her getting a part-time job at a retail store during Christmas. The kid's not going to be able to sit with her at the register and breastfeed with her. This is her elected job that she gets paid for in some, you know, not a lot, I'm sure, but... You have to schedule around it. I mean, everybody has babysitters and things to do. She can do it before. She can do it after. A meeting doesn't last eight hours long. Her child can breastfeed when right. she gets home or before she leaves, or if she needs to walk out or take a, you know, whatever. No, you have, Mike. You, you make a really good point. Let, let's let's take out the okay. She she's the older woman or whatever. She she's. But let's say instead she's working the cash register at a pet world, <laughs> for example. Right. Would, would anybody argue that she should have an absolute right to stand there at the cash register and breastfeed while she's bringing up while she's ringing up people? And I think the answer is, is no. I mean, th- should no. the business perhaps accommodate her and say, okay, look. You know, if you need to, to take a 30-minute break or do this on your lunch break or whatever and your husband wants to bring in your baby, that, that's that's fine. But you can't do it while you're supposedly doing your job. Right. Just have your have your kids taken care of while you're doing your job. And, I mean, do it like any other normal human being would. I've been doing this for four years. I've never had anybody come in with their child because it's bringing your kid to school day or whatever. Right. It's a work day. And say he's going to sit in. I mean, yes, maybe in the audience or in the you know whatever, but right. it's it's completely ridiculous. I can't even believe it's coming up. No, thanks. No, no, but we're we're going to have a law about this. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Again, this to me isn't anti breastfeeding or pro breastfeeding. It's more like there's an appropriate time and a place for everything. And when you are on when you are on the job when you are on the clock, does anybody think it again would it be a good idea? I go back to using the example of the judge. You know. <laughs> Uh, it's a murder trial, but here the judge is breastfeeding on the bench. If she's doing it back in chambers during a break, nobody cares. I certainly don't care about that. But, you know, when you're actually on the floor, when you're supposed to be debating legislation, yeah, I think it's wrong. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 119. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. By the way, I'm so happy to welcome Burke Candy as an advertiser. I have loved Burke Candy for years. We went out. We actually uh, had a bunch of Burke candy as uh, for dessert at our wedding. Um, that's how strongly we feel about them. I'm pl- pleased to have them as an advertiser. All right. Jan sends me a text. That's why they make breast pumps and bottles. Been there, been there, done that. Uh, here's another text. Um, I agree with you on the breastfeeding issue. I breastfed seven kids, pumped after I went back to work. So I'm not naive as to what comes along with that. And sometimes you're on the baby schedule. But they do not, uh, but do they not have a babysitter or a bottle? They can put the breast milk in. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, again, that's kind of how I, I, 
I, I come down on. Let's see. Um, Mr. Wagner, whoever is suggesting breastfeeding while in a meeting is nuts. They have no respect for the job they are paid to do and no compassion for the child. Uh, breastfeeding not only allows for nutrition for the child, but it's also bonding time. It takes away from both the mom's and child's experience. I think it's atrocious to do this in public. Well, And it's not just in public. It's, it's during the meeting. That's what the the issue is. This isn't like okay, can you you know appropriately cover up or, or whatever. It, it's it's not just doing it in public. It's doing it when you're supposed to be doing your job. Brenda in Menominee Falls. Brenda, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Well, um, well, I've heard what other people have said, and I've got kind of the same story. My children are both over thirty years old, and I did breastfeed, and I did worked full-time. With my first um, child, I was kind of lucky enough to, after my six-week leave, I was uh, laid off, so I stayed home and I breastfed him, and it was nice for three months. But my second child, not so lucky, six weeks is up, and I had to go back to work, and it was important to me to breastfeed. So what I did was I breastfed before I went to work, and I breastfed when I came home, I thought, you know, if cows can do it, why can't I? You absolutely can regulate yourself to your child's needs. So interrupting in a meeting and distraction, it's just ridiculous. It's just a way to uh, make a point. I don't understand what her point is because I think that should be a private thing between your child and you anyway. Well, I think her point is that, that you know, breastfeeding is, is a natural type of thing, and we shouldn't have any hang-ups about it, and, and you should be able to do but which is fine. But then it goes on to be that you, you should be able to do it anytime, anywhere you want. And I guess that's where I have this issue. Um, you know, in the workplace, while you are on the job, I, I think it's inappropriate. Would, would, we, would we say to the female bus driver, here, you know, bring your child to work and, you know, hold one hand on the wheel and the other hand on the child while you're breastfeeding? No, we wouldn't say that. We'd no. say no. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's not fair to the employer. It's not fair to the other people in the meeting. It's just, it's just ridiculous. No, thanks for But again, it's again. This is now Madison that that wants to make a, a statement, whatever the heck that statement is. Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I this has nothing to do with breastfeeding. This has to do with you're on the clock. I don't care if you pull out a bottle and try and feed the kid. This is the same. I don't care if you pull a ham sandwich out of a paper bag and eat your own lunch. Right. You're on the clock. Right. Yeah. It's what it's, you're it's, supposed to be doing. Yeah. No. I think. No. Dave. I think you you make a you know you make a very good point. I mean, I think it's. I would make an argument that it's inappropriate to bottle feed it as well, or right, right, or, or have a party or, or whatever. It's it's. You're you're there. There are times to do that. You know, in your in your schedule, you know, they will build in and a lot of employers, you know, they'll build in your breaks. Okay, if she wants to breastfeed or bottle feed or do whatever during the breaks, God bless her. And I think you're right. You know, if people are, are eating, I know I assume they have rules against, you know, not not eating on the floor of the of the common council, that would be appropriate too. I mean, right, there are times and places to do that. Right, you're on the clock. But mark my words, again, in this age of political correctness, this will be something that probably passes. They're going to consider this ordinance tomorrow because, heaven forbid, in the People's Republic of Madison, we don't want to do anything that's viewed as, I I don't know, discouraging women's interest in running for elected office, which if we told them you can't breastfeed during the time the meeting is in session, that's what that would be. 
It is a crazy darn world out there. It is 127. When we come back, really interesting story over the weekend about the fundamental unfairness of certain aspects of Obamacare. I want to walk that through with you. It will be very interesting. I guarantee it. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's one of our texts. Breastfeeding is irrelevant. The baby shouldn't be in the meeting eating from a bottle or a breast. I nurse babies for years, and I'm as pro-breastfeeding as they come. If it's appropriate for a baby to be there, it's appropriate to breastfeed. But in this case, it isn't appropriate for the baby to be there. To which the congregation says... Amen. Just in time for the holidays, WTMJ.com is giving you a chance to win an authentic NFL game ball autographed by Packers head coach Mike McCarthy. All you have to do, log on to WTMJ.com and our contest page. Listen for the special keyword in the podcast player. Have to listen for that. Fill out the entry form and you could be our lucky winner. You can enter daily, but you've got to be 18 to take part. Official rules are up at WTMJ.com. When we come back in just a couple minutes, it's an amazingly unfair aspect of Obamacare that needs to be discussed. Stick around. Thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. What can the Packers take from their tough last-minute loss to the Steelers in Pittsburgh? Tune in to Wisconsin's Afternoon News at three twenty for all things Packers. As John and Melissa break down the game with Jeff Falconio from Packers Radio Network. Well, this has pretty much been a Packers-free zone today. I tough loss. I don't understand why Coach McCarthy tried a fifty-seven-yard field goal instead of punting the ball but I'm not a head coach, and the rookie running back who actually had a great game, you don't go out of bounds when you're trying to run out the clock with 30-some seconds left and stop the clock. So there there were a couple of bonehead decisions, but all in all, I, I was very I thought they were very, very competitive. Now, are they going to make the playoffs this year? No, but at least, uh, I mean, the team did not fall apart. And there was... After that debacle, um, I, I was at the game at Lambeau Field a week ago in, against Baltimore, and I'll tell you, after looking at the lackluster and lousy performance they turned in, my fear was they're going to go into Pittsburgh and just get themselves blown out. And and they didn't. They they certainly outperformed expectations, and they didn't win, and that's unfortunate. But still, um, all in all, I think a a good game. Better um, than what everyone else. And I think you know, I mean, again, they were fourteen and a half point underdogs, and yeah. You know they, you know they ended up losing by by three on a last minute fifty three yard field goal. They did not disgrace themselves. And could I have been they worse. Get credit for that. My producer, <laughs> Greg says it could have been worse. Yes, it could have been worse. It could have right. It could have been the Baltimore Ravens game all over again. Um, all right. I, there are so many problems with Obamacare that it is difficult to know where where to start. And I, I understand that there are, are people, thankfully, most people don't get their insurance through Obamacare. You know, we're talking about, what, 13, 15 million people. That's a lot, but it, it's a fraction compared to the number of people who get their insurance through their employers or who get their insurance through who are over 65 and qualify for Medicare. There, But there are all sorts of fairness and weirdness issues with Obamacare. And one of the most dramatic ones 
comes along with the subsidies. And, and this is something that I have been talking about for, well, actually since Obamacare went into effect in 2010 or 2011, that, that I've been talking about since it, it went into effect. Journal Sentinel had a real interesting story about this the, the other day. And it's something that I know over the last several years has really hit some people that I know. There is a sliding scale of, of subsidies. And in other words, the more money you make, the less, the less of a subsidy you can get for your insurance. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, that just makes sense, that that's fine, because obviously, you know, the wealthier people, why should the taxpayers be underwriting them? The problem is, there are dramatic drop-offs. I know people in real life who turn down work, because if they took the work, their income level would be higher then would qualify for the subsidies they get from Obamacare. And, and I know that that might make no sense at all, but it is, it is the reality. Because if you reach a certain level, the subsidy you get from the government to pay for your insurance goes away, and that level is reached in a precipitous, precipitous fashion. Here's, here's what the Journal Sentinel wrote, if, if you missed this story. Making an extra $10 could cost you $24,000 more for health insurance. Okay, that headline, you know, gets your attention. And you might say, it can't be that way, but, but it is. Here's their story. In, health, in a health care system teeming with fine print, here's an oddity that middle-class people who buy insurance on their own, rather than through an employer, need to know. You might want to take a pay cut next year. Let's just stop there. What does it say? That we're telling people you don't want to make as much money as you possibly can. You don't want to make. You don't want to work as, as many hours as you possibly can, because you know we're going to create a disincentive for you to do that. Here's what they write: Consider the situation of a 63-year-old married couple with a projected household income of $70,000 next year. All right, 63-year-old married couple. All right, so with an income of $70,000. So the wife makes forty thousand. The husband makes thirty grand, or they each make thirty-five grand. All right. The lowest health care plan they could buy in Milwaukee County would cost them a little over twenty-four thousand dollars. So if they're if they're stuck in the Obamacare system, if they're stuck on the exchanges, twenty-four grand is the cheapest policy they can get. It's going to cost them twenty-four grand. They make seventy grand. All right. If the couple's income falls to sixty thousand, the same plan would cost them twenty-four dollars. That's not a typo. That's the total premium for the year. The difference at sixty thousand dollars, they'll qualify for a federal subsidy. At seventy thousand, they won't. And then they quote somebody from the Kaiser Family Foundation saying, the disparity between the cost of health insurance for people eligible for the subsidy and middle class people who are not is absolutely huge. Um, as a result, people who are close to the threshold of receiving subsidies might want to give thoughts to the steps they can take to report less income for 2016. Then it goes on to talk about how, um, you know, if you're over the cutoff, and the cutoff, here it is, the subsidies 
end at 400% of the federal poverty level. That's $48,240 for one person, six, almost 65000 for two, and $98,000 for a family of four. Being eligible for the federal subsidy, whether you're $10 or $10,000 over the cutoff, can translate into thousands of dollars in savings when buying health insurance. So then it goes on to say there, there's ways you can you maybe put money into a 401K or an IRA or a health savings account to reduce your income. But the bottom line is... The bottom line is that we have set up this system for middle class people. And and I think, you know, you can argue about where the upper end of the middle class is, but I think we would argue that most people, if you're making, you know, two people, you're making $60,000 a year, I would say that's still firmly in what I would describe as the middle class. Certainly not upper class, but it's not, you know, it's not poverty level stuff. You're making 60 grand between the two of you. The difference between that 60 grand and people that are making 70 grand is $24,000 in insurance premiums, meaning that there is absolutely no incentive in the world if you are stuck on those Obamacare exchanges. There's no incentive in the world to be making $70,000. So what does that mean? One person quits their job. One person ends up going part-time. All these decisions being driven by the insurance subsidy. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In a word, I, I think this is absolutely nuts. And I think the answer is, I understand that there has to be a cutoff point at some period of time. But but this this cliff that people fall off of makes no sense to me. And I think the bottom line of this is that the subsidies need to be less for some of the people making less money, and the subsidies need to be more for the people that are making closer to the limit if we're going to keep Obamacare. Because right now you have a system that discourages people from working and making money if they are dependent on Obamacare for the insurance. And again, I know several people in in real life, real life, not just written about in the newspaper, that it's dramatic a dramatic difference. Again, the difference between, you know, one person making 80 grand, which is, you know, nothing, you you get no subsidies at all, so you're on your own, be prepared to write checks totaling I don't know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars with deductibles that you're never going to be able to reach. Be prepared to do that. Versus the flip side of, gee, okay, it's a husband and a wife. Um, we could make seventy-five thousand dollars a year, but you know what? If we did, then we'd be paying it all for the insurance premiums. So let's only make, let's not work as hard. Let's only make sixty grand, or let's only make fifty-five grand, and we'll get our insurance paid for. It is crazy that you have a system which encourages people not to work to their fullest. 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we discuss next. And if you find yourself in this situation, I'd be delighted to talk to you. All right, got a lot of great calls on the line already. It's 145, this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 147, Jeff Becker, WTMJ. Let's see our text line. Well, Jeff, what a shame. I've had friends' experiences in the marketplace, and it blows me away every time. They have had to reduce their hours because of it. It encourages welfare. Precisely. Uh, When when you have a, a government policy that encourages people 
not to work, not to try to make money, not to work as hard as they possibly can. And that is precisely what Obamacare does for a number of people that I would describe are firmly in the middle class. Hey, you're making 60 grand a year. Well, don't, don't take that promotion. Because if you take that promotion and you make sixty-five grand a year, all of a sudden you're going to end up having to pay twenty-four thousand dollars in Obamacare fees, as opposed to getting the subsidies. I mean, it's just it, it's it's nuts. It essentially says, hey, you have a chance to be, I don't know, a, a okay. Let's let's say you work commission sales. All right, you you realize, okay, my sales. I think that my earnings, huh? I, I could I could max out about like eighty grand, but if I make eighty grand, I'm going to have to end up paying twenty four thousand. I just think you know, okay, maybe sixty grand is where I want to stay. I mean, th- do we really want a system that encourages people to sit on their butts? Let's talk to Craig in West Bend. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I'm an insurance agent and an independent, and I sign up a lot of people through the marketplace. And the horror stories are just absolutely ridiculous. I'll use my wife and I as an example. You know, household of two, cutoff is about 64500 Right. And the government will give you a tax credit if you make less than that because the theory is it has to be considered affordable. So they'll give you enough tax credit where your premium doesn't exceed 9.7% of your income. Right. But now you go, you make $1 over that, and magically you're so rich, <laughs> that, and, and your numbers are on the, on the couple or they're dead on, right. um, you know, you're, you can pay one-third of all your income, or even half of all your income, in an insurance premium, with, right. with $13,000, $14,000 in maximum out-of-pocket. Right. Now, my wife and I are 57, we had a bad year this year. Between our health insurance premiums and our medical bills, $29,852. And wow. I tell people that, and they look at me like I have two heads. And, and the, the people that <laughs> think Obamacare is the greatest are the ones that aren't on it or they're getting a huge tax credit. Right. But I've been accused of lying. Right. I'm going, no. no, that's the truth. Well, you can't. You can't pay that. Well, yes. Yeah. Right, right. You do, and then, and then once you, again, you, you look at what the deductibles are. So you we've got the premiums, and then you're talking about in most cases, you know, those deductibles are going to be certainly into five figures, right, before you can actually start collecting well, on sure. them. Yeah, and, and it's so the incentive is so the message is, don't make that sixty-five or sixty-six thousand dollars a year. Turn down the promotion. Uh, do whatever. You know, limit your income to fifty grand, and and you'll well, the government will take care of you. <laughs> What, what well, kind of message really is that? Gets re- it gets ridiculous. Is okay. See a guy. He's, he's got yeah, kind of a lousy job, not making that much money for the first eight months of the year. So he gets this huge tax credit. Right. All of a sudden, he gets a new job, or gets a promotion, get whatever, crosses over that threshold. Now, once if if you're stuck, if you make more money than you declare, but you stay under the threshold, you just got to pay back some of the tax credit. But if you go over, they don't look at, okay, this gentleman was working eight months and really wasn't making money. He really deserved that. No, they go by the end of the year. Right. So now that person has to pay back all of the tax credit as if they were rich the right. entire year. Yep. And, and that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just nuts. There's, um, right. It's there's just so nuts. many things in that law that are just make no common sense a third grader could have would have had more common sense than some of the things in that law right and this really this is one that really hits it to me it's the heart of the middle class because it is a policy that says 
don't work hard, don't try to better yourself, don't take that promotion because we're going to penalize you really hard if you do. Oh, yeah. And yeah, no, thanks for the call, Craig. I, I appreciate it. and that, and I understand that's. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad the newspaper finally got around to writing about this. This is something that I have been talking about for six years. People, uh, again, that, that get hit by, by this. And again, I know people in, my, in, in real life who, who have to, and I don't want to say, who have to play the game. And I don't say that in a bad way. But they have to, they turn down opportunities to make money because if you, again, make certain amount, if you get over a certain dollar amount by even one dollar, you're going to have an entire house of cards. You're going to have to pay out $24,000 for the insurance policy. Or maybe it's extreme because it's Milwaukee County, so you have to pay out 15000 or, or whatever. But it is this punitive thing that really makes no sense. And like I say, I think that you, you can't have that drop-off, as dramatic a drop-off. And yes, that means I think more low-income people should contribute a large, should not be getting as large a subsidy and should be contributing more, and that would allow some of the still middle-class people to at least have the ability not be penalized for saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to work overtime today. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Steve and De Pere. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I'm the token guy you're talking about. I'm retired, and luckily my wife is on um, Medicare. She's a little older than me. But, um, and luckily, you know, I mean... You're, you're the boy toy in that relationship, right, huh? Right, Got it. it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I worked for 40-some years, and I, you know, worked my butt off. I ended up having really good jobs, made money. I could have afforded to retire, but now I'm paying all this money for, you know, insurance I can't even afford to use. And I've had some past health conditions that I can't take a chance of not insuring myself. Thank God I've only got a year and a half of this nonsense left. Right, but you, but, you have to have that insurance for the right. catastrophic. You, you're, you've got it in case there's a catastrophic thing right. that happens. Yeah, Right, and I'm paying 12000 bucks, well, $1,200 a month. I figured out it's, it's like $40 a day I'm paying for insurance I can't use, and yet I've got in-laws that also work well, but, you know, they live a little more frugally, so they're taking out the retirement a little less, and they're in the $24 a year category. Right. <laughs> I mean, everybody, it, it's just like taxes. I don't care how little you make, everybody should have some skin in the game. Yep. So, you know, and luckily I can afford it. If my wife was, you know, was not on that, I'd probably have to go back to work. Right. Now, just so, so for people who are who are a little unclear, Steve, you say you're paying for insurance you can't use. That's because your deductible is so high that is a practical right. matter. Right. You, right. You know, you, right. You're never you're never going to be able to use it. Exactly. When I retired, um, well, our company had bought out, so I you know I was I guess forced to retire. But I was on Cobra, and I thought Cobra was expensive. Yeah. And then I went on Obamacare, and twice now, I live in Brown County. The first year I could I had to give up. The doctor I had, I got a new doctor, I had Prevea. Well, last year, at the very last minute, another company came in and allowed us to keep Prevea. Otherwise, I'd have to switch insurance. Now, this Molina, they canceled for this year, so now I have to get a new insurance company that does not have Prevea in the network. So I I couldn't keep my insurance I like twice, and I couldn't keep my doctor I like twice. (laughs) Right, and you're and you're paying so much money that you're probably never going to be able to use it anyway. I get I get nothing for it, absolutely nothing. So I'm going to continue to see the doctor I like, and I'll just you know suffer paying out a network for another year and a half. No, thanks for calling. And that's this is again it, it's one of these things. Now this plays out in other things as well. I understand that there's there's limits 
on, you know, you can't earn X amount of dollars and still take your Social Security. So, I mean, I understand that there's there's sort of limits that, that play in, but this is in healthcare that everybody has to have, and it is just this dramatic cliff. And if you do not think this is a problem, for me, just philosophically, and I mean, my heart really does go out to the people that we're talking to, you know, who are talking about, you know, we're paying thousands and thousands of dollars for insurance that we're never going to be able to, to use. Uh, that is that is the problem, but it is partly because you have this policy that has been set up that discourages people from trying to better themselves. It says to that husband and wife, "Hey, um, you've got a chance. The two of you are making sixty grand, and you know you, you know Mrs. Wagner, you Mr. Wagner. Here's a promotion." You know, we're going to give you the promotion. The promotion means you can make $10,000 more a year. Oh, happy days. I'm going to make $10,000 more a year. No, you can't take that promotion because, you know, the promotion, again, there might be ways you can hide income. But but that aside, just on the face of it, that promotion, that extra $10,000 a year, instead of being the best thing in the world, it's going to cost you $24,000 in insurance premiums. I'm sorry. There's one word to describe a system that like that, and that word is nuts. It's 157. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right, there's another story in the paper that caught my attention. Um, I think the media is going to try to drum up this race as being more competitive than it really is or, or should be. The 6th Congressional District um, is it's a big one. Um, uh, in the West, it, it goes as far west as Washahara and Marquette County and... Um, Columbus County, it includes Green Lake, um, Winnebago, and so then it, it kind of moves across through Fond du Lac, through Sheboygan, um, it, uh, you know, and, and then goes both as far north as Manitowoc County and as far south as almost to the Milwaukee County border. It includes uh, portions of Mequon and things like that. It's a, it's an, it, it's a big, big district. It's represented by Congressman Glenn Grothman, who's very conservative and very well-known. And as, as we talk about this all the time, Glenn and I go back to high school together. He went to Homestead High School. I went to Nicolay, and we used to be on rival debate teams and things like that. And Glenn has been a regular fixture in the state legislature, started out in state assembly, um, was a state senator, and then you know he ran for Congress um, you know, in, in 2014, and um, you know, was reelected handily in 2016. Um, he's being challenged by Dan Cole. Dan Cole is a carpetbagger when it comes to the district. Dan Cole, biggest thing he has going for him is he's Herb Cole's nephew. Um, interesting track record. He ran for state assembly in 2008. Um, and this was on, on the Lower East Side, very, very liberal enclave. Um, despite spending just a ton of money for state assembly, he ended up running third out of four candidates, um, just dramatically underperforming. He, he worked, his big claim to fame is he worked for the Bucks when his uncle you know, owned, owned the Bucks. And then when that kind of all faded, um, he worked for a, a liberal pro-Israel advocacy group. Um, he also then worked for a Washington-based law firm. But he, he really, he, he wants to be in politics. So he came back 
uh, I think, looked at the landscape and said, okay, where, where can I run for office, and ended up settling in, in Mequon, um, which is, again, the, the southernmost portion of this district that he, he wants to represent. And so now he's back, and you've got family money, and he's running against Glenn Grothman. And the story in the paper over the weekend, Glenn Grothman, uh, Dan Cole, headed for 2018 Wisconsin Congressional Showdown. Now, again, Cole's been out of out of the state for a while, um, came back to Wisconsin in May, again, settled in Mequon, because he wanted to run against Glenn Grothman, so he, he's moved in with that idea. And I think the idea is, well, he's got this family name, he's got a bunch of money behind him, pretty much unlimited spending. Here, he'll be able to take out Glenn Grothman. Grothman, of course, has been taking nothing for granted. Um, Glenn works really, really hard, and um, I mean, he recognizes that when you're faced with somebody who's got a, a ton of money behind them and you've got the uncle's name which perhaps might it didn't carry much weight in the east side primary and so I, i'm not sure how much weight it's going to carry um in a, in a general election in a district that leans pretty heavily republican but i guess that remains to be seen the point of it is there's a lot of national people who are watching this race and i think there's some pundits who candidly are looking for something to talk about. Oh, Glenn Grothman's going to be in trouble because of Dan Cole. All right. It is two. Here we are a little less than a year away from the election. Like I say, I've known Glenn Grothman since we were in high school together. He is a guy who takes absolutely nothing for granted. You, you can read about it in Politico or The Hill or The Journal Sentinel talking about this being a race. Bottom line is it doesn't matter whether it's Dan Cole or Frank Cole or... You know, Fred the plumber, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, Dan Cole, who is a guy who, again, you know, wants to be in politics, looking for a place that he can find a winnable race, got into this one because he thinks maybe he can buy his way into office. My prediction is, despite what you might read, it, it's not going to work. I think I, Grothman won big time last time. He won by about 20 points. It, it's a little bit of a different election, and I, I don't know that it's going to be a 20-point margin, but I don't think this is going to be anywhere near as close as some people would have you believe. And I think the bottom line is some of the TV stations and some of the radio stations are probably going to get a lot of a lot of pro-coal money uh, being spent. At the end of the day, though, as I look at this congressional map, um, my, my guess is the result is going to be the same, and uh, Dan Cole is going to be left trying to find another district that he can move into with the idea that maybe he can run for office there, because I don't think this race is going to be his. Just saying, and uh, you can mark the tape on that one, Greg. Okay, I, I'm, I am intrigued by the whole explosion of, again, sexual harassment claims and, and, and bad behavior. As I, as I said last week, one of the things that's frustrating to me about all these different people who are being accused of, of, of sexual harassment, I mean, you had the story about Charlie Rose, you know, that, that came out last week. That was the big thing. And CBS and PBS are shocked and shocked, and they're, you know, now they're, they're going to terminate agreements with him and things like that. So I, I listened to all this, and one of the things that's been frustrating to me is that I don't believe for one minute that these companies, these businesses, didn't know about this stuff. Now, they might not have known every detail of every allegation, but I, I just you'll never convince me 
for example, that, that CBS and that PBS didn't know about all this stuff with Charlie Rose. It, it was not a, a secret necessarily inside the industry. You know, similarly with Harvey Weinstein, you know, which kind of started this all, or Kevin Spacey. People knew about this. And so these companies that try to pretend now that they're holier than now, oh, we're shocked, we're going to suspend so-and-so for this, while at the same time turning a blind eye to this conduct for years and years and years, I think is the height of hypocrisy. The question, though, becomes where do we go now? And I want to I kind of frame it in this fashion. Okay, Kevin Spacey, in his personal life, appears to be a major league scumbag. I'm sorry if you're offended by that term, but that's what this guy appears to be. You know, and, and this, this isn't about his sexual orientation or anything else, but it appears that for, you know, the better part of several decades, and it was, a, I guess, a, a well-known, quote-unquote, secret in Hollywood that this guy liked to prey on younger male actors or, you know, behind-the-scenes workers or whatever. This wasn't a, a secret, just like it wasn't a secret that some of these other people, that the Charlie Roses of the world, did what they did. And again, you had movie companies that continued to hire him and producers that hired him and all these things because people went to his movies and they liked him and they thought he was a good actor. I have always, as an actor... I've always thought Kevin Spacey, I'm a movie buff, I've always thought that Kevin Spacey was a really, really good actor. I mean, I, I was just, I've, I've got his um, his resume in, on, in front of me, and lots and lots of stuff, including things that you probably never heard of, but, you know, he was in some very, very big movies. I mean, he was in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, which I loved. He was in Consenting Adults, which is a great movie. Um, he's Swimming with Sharks. Of the usual suspects. He was in L.A. Confidential, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. He was in Hurley Burley. He won an Oscar for American Beauty with um, uh, Annette Bening, Warren Beatty's wife. Um, the Big Kahuna, Pay It Forward. I love the movie, Pay It Forward. I think that that's great. And it, you know, it goes on and on and on. Beyond the Sea with Bobby Darren. I mean, he did that. He's been in all these movies, and the list goes on and on. Like I say, some of them are, are kind of missable, but a lot of them are really, really good. Um, the other night, L.A. Confidential, which I, I just, you know, it's based on the, you know, it's the movie version of the book, really, really good. L.A. Confidential came on, and Kevin Spacey plays a huge part in that, and I was watching the movie because I, I love the movie, but as I'm watching the movie, I'm not really seeing the character Kevin Spacey plays. I'm, I'm seeing Kevin Spacey now. And I admit, I found myself watching that movie um, in a different light, knowing what I know, or at least what I believe I know, about Kevin Spacey. So here's where I want to take this conversation. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For if you are a fan of, of some of these people who have been, you know, identified as being responsible for the bad behavior, and, and Kevin Spacey probably, perhaps, maybe the most prominent uh, as far as like performers, are are you still going to be able to enjoy their work? Now, moving forward, my guess is they're pariahs, and people who've been labeled like this probably going to have a very difficult time, you know, getting new work. But the old work, the stuff that you have enjoyed. Are you still going to watch it, or are you? is it now just impossible to view 
for example, uh, again, a movie like American Beauty, which is an incredible movie, you, can you watch it the same way? Um, are we going to see these movies start now to disappear from from television because, well, okay, you got it. You we can't show this on the movie channel anymore. We can't show this on Cinemax anymore. We can't show it, you know, on on whatever films because of who is in it. Is that what's going to happen? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a prediction. But I'm curious as to where you what you feel about this, and we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Are watching these movies ever going to be the same with some of these people in them? It's 219. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Like I said, the, the other night I was watching L.A. Confidential. It's a great movie. Um, Kevin Spacey plays a huge role in that movie. And I, I admit, I watched it in a different Light. Um, I, I'm watching this, and I'm not seeing the character. I, I'm seeing Kevin Spacey, the predator, and I, I'm, I really find myself sitting here wondering: for for these these movies that that people like Kevin Spacey made, and they're all over. I mean, my gosh, the guy was making a ton of movies. Um, are are they going to be? Con- are you going to continue to be able to see them, or are they going to end up being pulled? And I will tell you, my guess is it's going to be more and more difficult to sell. These movies, because people, they're going to have the same problem I had. They're going to watch them, and they're not going to see the character. They're going to see Kevin Spacey, the uh, uh, alleged sexual predator. Daryl in Kenosha. Daryl, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Um, It just struck me as very strange, but last night I was surfing through all the movies, and I stopped on American Beauty, remembering it was a good movie, but... I don't want to go overboard. I am a Christian, but something just felt unseemingly, and I, I couldn't watch it. Yeah, you, it was just it, right, right. It was it was kind of like, okay, it's even though I mean the movie was made, you know, however many years it was made in the late '90s, I think, so it's going on 20 years old. Who, but knowing what you know now about Kevin Spacey, you couldn't watch the thing. Right. It. I mean, not in good conscience. I felt like. God's looking at me like you know. I'm like, okay, I don't argue, I don't question, argue, and all the other stars that not have been accused but have admitted. Um, right. You know, I mean, if you're accused of something, I'm, I mean, I don't know people. I'm not right. going to judge you, but once you say, yeah, I did, and you come out with your fake apology or say, right. oh, I'm gay, so that makes it okay, or whatever. Which is what Kevin Spacey. Well, Kevin Spacey was, was weird. It's a, yes, I agree. I've been a predator, and by the way, I'm gay, which was just a. Which was a, which was about a bizarre thing because of course then the gay community went abs- uh, appropriately went absolutely crazy because that's what they're that that's the last thing they want is to play into the stereotype that just because you're gay that means you're a predator. Here's Kevin Spacey saying, oh, "I'm a predator," and by the way, I, I'm gay. Thanks for the call. I mean, that's, it was like the the I, I don't know what crisis management people that he was talking to, but my God, that was about as that was about as bad as possible. But I, I will tell you, I as somebody who is a movie fan. And who has enjoyed, for example, Kevin Spacey's work, I just, I found it difficult to watch. And I'm not calling for these movies to be, like, blacklisted or anything like that. But I think that's going to be the natural reaction of this. I think you're going to see a a lot of the services, for example, that rerun the older movies, who are going to be looking through this and saying, you know what, you know, we we could put this on, but people aren't going to watch it because it, it features 
right or you know it, it features Kevin Spacey and yes it might be a great movie and yes it might have won an Oscar but you know what um, people aren't going to watch it and I think people are going to be voting with their feet and that's going to be one of the interesting things moving forward Jeff in Fox Point Jeff you're on WTMJ good afternoon hey Jeff I'm also having trouble and I think the best example I have is that I had a t-shirt that said Kobayashi porcelain which is a joking reference to the usual suspects and right. since this happened um, it's now in my next shipment to Goodwill. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it's, yeah, and, and and it's just because of that, that, that whole thing. It's because right, he was in the usual suspects, and you just can't get past that, huh? Yeah, and my, my Blu-ray library might also be getting some more free space as well. Well, that's, I mean, thanks. That's, I mean, you know, you wonder. I was, I mean, House of Cards, which is really... You know they. You know he's he's been fired from it. Um, they're they're on hiatus now as they try to figure out what to do with the last season and how they end up doing it. But you know from the perspective of that, I mean let, let's face it. For any, as a practical matter, for any sort of residual value. I mean, are, are people going to go back and, and watch binge watch House of Cards anymore? No. I, I mean I. I mean, some people might just because, oh, look at Kevin Spacey, we know about this. But my, my guess is that the, the value, for example, of, of that show, has, if, if it was millions and millions of dollars, now it's a fraction of that because people just aren't going to watch it. Now, maybe this will pass with time. You know, and again, you always have to be careful in judging these things that... Um, you know, judging these things that by by the standards of while the scandal is going on, you know, because people people tend to forget stuff and people tend to downplay this, and you know, time heals all wounds. I'm not sure though that that cliche applies in a situation, um, you know, like this. And of course, now of course everybody's going to be watching these different, you know, movies. Uh, you know, watching these different movies, saying, "Oh, and wonder what Kevin Spacey was, you know, doing while th- this show was going on." Doug in Milwaukee. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I, I, I think the Kevin Spacey thing, even American Beauty, the character he played in that movie, is so different from what it seems he's like in real life. It's, yeah. it's really hard now um, to deal with. Yeah, no, I, I, right, I mean, think so, I mean, the same, yeah, I think, right, you, I mean, an American movie, American Beauty, took me a little while to warm up to that movie, but I mean, I think it's just an incredibly well done sort of movie, I just, you, you wonder, this is, and you wonder how many more actors this is going to fall on, I, I will tell you, um, you know, when I see these movies that are produced by Harvey Weinstein now, I, I just, I view them in a different sort of way. Now, Harvey Weinstein is just the guy that financed and managed to, you know, greenlight him and all. So that's kind of a different sort of story there. But um, but with the actors themselves, I think at least temporarily, you're going to see a, a lot fewer. Just for example, Kevin Spacey movies that are out there, and you can apply that to a lot of other people as well. It's 2:29. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks are on the third leg of their West Coast road swing tomorrow night against the Kings. Ted Davis is live in Sacramento with our Buckshots pregame coverage beginning at 840 Tuesday night right here on WTMJ. When we come back, before the program ends, we're going to be talking guns and games. They're two separate subjects.
It's 2.36, Jeff Wagner, WPMJ. So very glad to have you with us. How is Central Wisconsin transforming into a hub for workplace talent? The CEO of GreenHack imparts his knowledge on the team at Milwaukee as part of the Intersection of People and Place podcast, now up on the WTMJ mobile app. While you're there, check out all the various podcasts. You see some from voices you don't hear on the radio, and then you uh, we podcast every one of our regular shows, and I know a lot of people time shift. They'll, they can't listen to all three hours of the show, but I know a lot of people download or sign up and subscribe to the podcast of this program because we keep track of those things, and I very much appreciate you listening, and be sure to take advantage of that if you haven't checked it out. Also, um, you can follow me on Twitter if you want a head start on some of the things that we're going to be talking about on a given program. I try to send out our three big things every day well in advance of the show, and then some other stuff as well with some other, to the extent Twitter allows you to do that, um, some other thoughts as well, and you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 We uh, do that as well. Uh, other quick housekeeping note, tonight is, of course, our uh, our third annual you know, radio play, and it's at Turner Hall, and um, it, the tickets are all sold out, but I'm looking forward to seeing so many of you there, and if you know we're out and about, please come out and say hi. I always enjoy meeting folks if you're kind enough to listen to the program. Um, it should be a fun time tonight, and if you've been to the previous shows, you, you know it's, it's a good time. It's typically had by all. In addition, just a couple housekeeping matters. Wednesday night, if you happen to be in the Washington County area, doing a big fundraiser. It's called the Taste of Washington County. Proceeds go to the Five Boys and Girls Clubs in Washington County. And um, I'm going to be one of the servers. So you can buy tickets, and then you go around, and there's all these different restaurants that donate food. It's uh, Boys and Girls Clubs do wonderful things. You know, we talk about... We talk about juvenile crime a lot on this program, and I, I always say I'm I'm not smart enough to figure out how to prevent it. I come from a law enforcement perspective, and all I know is, you know, once people start committing crimes, I, I think they have to be held accountable. But obviously, if you can figure out a way to give kids positive alternatives to discourage them from going out and carrying around guns and sticking guns in people's faces and taking their purses or taking their cars. That's always a good thing, and boys and girls clubs do a wonderful job of that. And this is the big fundraiser up in Washington County. It's Wednesday night. Also, our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, we officially launched the 12th annual campaign last week. Um, A portion of the proceeds from tonight's radio show um, go to... Uh, Kids to Kids Christmas, but our first um, on-air toy collection effort is this Friday. Um, it's going to be from noon until 6. We're taking the program on the road, and my show on Wisconsin's Afternoon News, we're going to be broadcasting live from our big talking box, our mobile studio at the VMP Manor Park. I'll be out in the parking lot. But they set up this incredible winter wonderland. The folks at VMP do it incredibly well, and um, they've got sleigh rides typically, and it's they, it's just really, really nice. And people stop off, and they drop off toys. Um, so um, if if you've got some... If you've got new toys or go out and shop for some new toys, uh, the idea behind it is actually if, if you have a child and you really want to teach the child the value of the holidays, you know, go out and encourage him to, to get a toy for some child that's less fortunate. What happens is um, together with the friends, our friends at Capco, all the toys get collected, then they get sent to the Salvation Army, and the Salvation Army sets up its own little toy store where, where people get vouchers and you can come in and um, you can make a child's Christmas a lot happier. And so I'm really glad we're doing it again. And once again, we're going to be on the road collecting toys at VMP Manor Park in West Dallas Friday. I'll be there noon to 3, and then John McCure is there from um, 3 until 6. So a lot of stuff going on this week. All right, Black Friday. 
the day after Thanksgiving. Now, Black Friday has lost some of its cachet um, over over the years because you know what what's happened is people first of all more stores have started opening up on Thanksgiving. Secondly, a lot of people have wised up to the fact that the Black Friday deals aren't necessarily that great and you can get them earlier in the year you can get them you know three weeks earlier whatever also the reality is as we were talking about today is cyber monday you've heard the different ads and um, a lot of people are shopping on the internet they're finding that hey the deals i can get on the internet are just as good as the deals i can get if i'm standing out in line outside the big box retailer you know at four o'clock in in the morning so Black Friday isn't what it used to be, but it is still significant, and it is the unofficial start to the Christmas shopping season. So, on Black Friday, there were two categories of goods that really kind of went through the roof as far as sales. First of all, and this is not a surprise, this is pretty much true every year, uh, electronics. I mean, uh, electronics, people, you know, everybody wants the newest gadget. Um, let's see, the, the Nintendo Switch was apparently the best-selling product on Black Friday and Thanksgiving in the, the U.S. Um, this is Nintendo's you know, latest, that's a gaming platform, right? Yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's been outselling Sony's PS4 and Microsoft's Xbox One, um, and it was the best-selling product of Black Friday and Thanksgiving. So, okay, but, but that's not unusual. It's always going to be the latest and the greatest in, in gaming. The thing that surprised a lot of people, though, the other category that went through the roof was the sales of guns. Guns. Um, the FBI Friday. Now, before you can buy a, a firearm, um, you know, you need, as a general rule, you need to have that background check. The FBI was flooded Friday with more than 200,000 background check requests for gun purchases that set a new single-day record. In all, the FBI fielded almost, well, a little over 203,000 requests on Black Friday. That was up from a previous single-high day of 185,000 last year and 185,000 in 2015. Both of those records were also recorded on Black Friday. Um, Now, gun checks... Um, required for purchases of federally licensed firearms dealers are not necessarily a measure of, of actual gun sales. The number of firearms sold Friday is likely higher because multiple firearms can be included in one transaction by a single buyer. But nevertheless, huge, 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 huge. Now, during the Obama years, everybody understood that there was often rushes to buy firearms because there was a concern that President Obama was going to try to push through gun control legislation. Um, With President Trump in office, there is less concern of that. But nevertheless, people are going out and they are buying guns, arguably, at record numbers. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a broad-based question. Now, I have my own answer. But I don't necessarily want to um, prejudice you in yours. Huge number of guns. I mean, over 200,000 you know, um, of the, the gun checks. That tells me that there were a lot of people out there buying firearms on Friday. My question is, in your mind, why was this happening? 
Um, is it are, are people concerned that there's going to be gun control legislation? Um, are people now just saying, hey, crime is out of control, so we, we want to have firearms? Are people somehow deciding, hey, I think this is going to make a great gift? Or whatever reason. Now, I have my theory, but again, I'm curious as to yours, and I'm going to share mine in just a moment as well. But why were gun sales through the roof, or at least um, gun checks on Black Friday, a single-day record, which tells me lots of people were buying firearms. 414-799-1620. I have a theory. I'll share it, but what's yours? It's 245. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Debbie sends me texts. I bought a gun. <laughs> um, I guess the fundamental question is why? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Dean in Hales Corners. Dean, you're first. Good afternoon. Well, good afternoon, Jeff. Jeff, and let me be the first to wish you a very real tree, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, um, I've got multiple. We're going to have multiple trees this year at all sorts of different places. I'm looking forward to it. Outstanding, as long as they're real. That's the important <laughs> thing. Um, I, I think, regarding the question at hand, I'm really thinking that our Republicans that we put into office, I don't believe that they're strong enough to push back the media. The media is just going after us left and right all the time, steady, steady, push, push, push. And I have a funny feeling that eventually they're going to fold like a house of cards and our Second Amendment rights are going to go away. So you think it, it's still, even with President Trump in there, there's still the concern that people had during the Obama administration that we're going to see bans on certain types of firearms, for example? Yes, because the right isn't strong enough, isn't willing to take the hits from the media because they're afraid. They've done it in the past. It's pure history. Look at all the things that we've collapsed on. From I mean, everything we've collapsed on. We, we hold the Senate and the Congress and the, the House, but yet we still collapse on things. Why are we just pushing things through left and right and saying, okay, Democrats, left, we don't care okay. what you say. We're going to do it anyway. Okay, good you know? enough. I, I, want to, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dean. I, I want to get to as many calls as I possibly can. Your theory is there's still concern that that it's going to be more difficult to buy firearms in the future, so people are waiting in. Mike in Pewaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. What do you think? Good afternoon. Hi, Mike. There's about three reasons. Hi. Uh, I'm a gun collector uh, involved in the shooting sports, own dozens of uh, firearms. Uh, I think one thing is the prices are phenomenal. So Black Friday was good. I mean, it'd be like buying a set of golf clubs or a new car at a third to half the price. Secondly, the shooting sports, are just exploding, and there's more gun collectors. Uh, the shotgun clubs, I was out this weekend, there's uh, many women and children at the ranges I belong to. Uh, women and children are uh, collecting, and the prices are phenomenal, and mm -hmm. I think the shooting sports are just exploding. It's like maybe golf was 10 years ago, right. and it's a, it's a great pastime. And I, I'm not saying this as sole thing, but I know it's really picking up, and the prices are just Phenomenal. Good deals. Okay, now thanks for calling. I'm, again, I'm looking for theories. I'll give you mine. I, I don't. I, I certainly don't dispute that that the shooting sports are kind of on the rise. Doug in Lake Geneva. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Same to you, sir. So I'm going to disagree with Dean. I'll agree with your last caller. But however, my I bought a competitive AR-10 on Friday. It was normally twenty-two hundred dollars for fourteen hundred. Okay. Because the inventories are high because after Mr. Trump was elected, gun sales dropped. 
and there's a lot of inventory out there. Um, so supply and demand, just good deals, just good absolutely. deals. Huh? Merry Christmas. Merry, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> th- th- thanks for calling. No, I mean, I, I think. Um, now I haven't been in the market for a firearm for a while, but I think actually that might might change a little bit. I well, John John sends me a text that um, actually th- this is one of the factors. I mean, it's this is Mark. Okay, Mark Bristol says I believe gun sales are through the roof due to all the mass shootings on two fronts. First, I believe people feel that they need to protect themselves. I also think a portion of people feel that with all of that in mind, gun laws may change and they want to be grandfathered in. I I. I I don't know about the fear of laws, but I do think that there is, and I understand some politicians don't like to hear this, but crime is out of control. And, I mean, I, I know we're, we're talking about this nationally, but I don't think the experience, if if I were doing a radio talk show in Cincinnati or in, in St. Louis or in Austin or, or somewhere else, I don't think the experience is necessarily that different. What we are seeing is an explosion of, of crime. And we're seeing it not just in, okay, some of the urban areas where you would typically expect it, but you're starting to see that, that spread. You're starting to see it spread to the suburbs. I think people are recognizing that they want to protect themselves. And I believe that at least part of that that is driving the equation is the fact that more and more people are saying, you know what, I want to have a gun in the house. Or I, I want to I want to get that concealed carry permit, or or I, maybe I don't want to get the concealed carry permit, but you know I want to have that gun in the house and, and I want to be able to use it, and that's why I I think that that is I think that that is a factor, and I know you know my my wife and I have, have talked about this. I I have a I have a handgun. I've had it since my days in the U.S. Attorney's Office, but you know we've talked about perhaps getting another. I don't know, but I mean I I think more and more people, as you see this spread of crime, I think more and more people are interested in again perhaps protecting themselves, and I think that's. One of the things, now I don't know about the prices, I haven't gone out and priced the firearms, and it might be that the deals are good too, but I think there's a lot of people saying, you know what, um, you know, in the past that never even occurred to me to maybe get a handgun, well maybe now I'd like the handgun to, to keep in, you know, the, the drawer beside the bed. John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Yeah, I just want to agree with what you're saying. Um, I'm seven years old, and our family, my wife's friends, uh, some of her female friends, they, they live alone. You know, two years ago, they, you know, expressed a little concern. I said, you know, get a gun or something like that. Oh, no, no, no. They don't want anything to do with it. Right. Now, they're <laughs> singing a different tune. Right. I mean, you watch the news the first 10, 15 minutes. It's, it's just innocent people after innocent people getting, yeah. you know, mugged, shot, uh, having their lives ruined because of some... Crazy part. Yeah, no, I, I think there's more, John, I think you're right. I think there's more and more people, responsible citizens, and I'm not saying they're going to go out and get a concealed carry permit necessarily, but there's more and more people thinking, you know what, I might not carry that gun in my purse, but my husband travels, or, and I don't mean to be, I'll break it down on gender type of thing, or, hey, you know, we live in an area where I'm starting to see all this crime, and you're starting to see these home invasions, and, you know, I never thought I needed a gun before, but you know what? You know, maybe me and my spouse knowing how to use that gun and keeping that gun in the nightstand, maybe it's something that gives us a little bit of added security if you get that situation where, Lord forbid, you end up being a crime victim. That is, I think, a factor. And 
again, I, I'm not in a position to comment on price and the deals. I'll, I'll take people's word for it. But I think it's also more people just reexamining whether they want to keep a firearm in the house for self-defense. It's 2.55. We're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds in just a moment. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.57. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, the big Christmas spectacular coming up this evening. Hope to see a lot of people at Turner Hall. Doors open at 5.30. The show starts uh, 6.30 or thereabouts. If you don't have tickets, well, we are way sold out. But you can hear rebroadcasts at various times over the holiday seasons. He's going to be one of the stars of the show. I know because I've seen the uh, I've seen the script. John McCure. It's a pretty funny script, isn't it? Well, it's we hope so. good, yeah. We hope so. We think it's funny. It's going to be yeah, a great Yeah, but we laugh show. at anything. Yeah, <laughs> we, we think all sorts of stuff is funny, John. You and I aren't the best indicators <laughs> to that. All right, fair enough. <laughs>